Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Amen. Well, good morning. Am I on? Yes. Good morning, everyone. I am. Uh, I'm so glad to have this chance to share with you. If you uh, don't know me, you heard my name is Scott Johnson. I'm an associate pastor here at First Baptist, and my primary responsibility is the worship team. So I'm super proud of these guys today. They did such a great job leading us in worship. Um, yeah. There we go. Um, but, but I'm filling in today because our lead pastor, Brian, is out on sick leave. He had surgery a few days back, and he is recovering. And an update from him, I asked for a one-sentence update about how he's doing. And he said, I am doing my best at doing nothing so I can heal. So you know Brian, you know that that's hard for him. So y'all continue to pray for him that God would just completely uh, heal him and get him back to the things he enjoys and, and uh, I, I'm happy to share. I got to say, though, I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I'm, I hate that he's having to go through that. I really do. But I'm a little disappointed he's not here because if you know about Brian, you know that he enjoys making jokes at my expense. And so <laughs> I thought today I might have a chance to get back at him a little bit, but can't do that because he's not here. And so that takes the fun away from it. Um, but in all seriousness, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to share. And what I want to do is just tell you a little bit about my story and what my experience was like growing up in a church, a really good, a really healthy church um, that was not a perfect church. Okay, those don't exist, right? But a church that, if nothing else, was committed to um, being intentional about making disciples of the next generation. They did a fantastic job at that, if nothing else. And so I, I want to share my story, and then I want to end with a, with a challenge from God's Word, um, whose story is way better than mine, uh, but a challenge for all of us to consider um, before we go today. And so for me, growing up, my parents did a pretty good job to instill in me a basic understanding of God and of the Bible and uh, what, what this was all about, what faith was all about. Uh, just so you know, they are probably... Uh, they're probably watching this right now, or they will be later. And so it's a little tricky. I'm going to try to do my best to balance between telling the truth and being authentic and real while at the same time not dishonoring them. Uh, and so before I really get going, parents, moms and dads out there and grandparents, you never know. Your kid could be up here one day, giving an account of their life, and in doing so, tell about how your parenting was. And so, but no pressure, right? No pressure. Uh, no one's perfect. No one does a perfect job of it. And, uh, and my parents didn't do it perfectly, but I believe that if nothing else, they knew that they needed some help and they were wise enough to know that the church could do a pretty good job at helping. And so they got me involved in, in, a, in a good church. And none of this is to toot my own horn. None of this is about anything that I've done or, or anything that I can do. It's just, it's, it's the way God worked. It's the way that he put that in my parents. And it's the way my church was faithful to making disciples of all people. Um, but today I'm just focusing specifically on the next generation. Uh, when I was eight years old, I accepted the free gift of salvation uh, through Jesus Christ at Vacation Bible School. 
And if you're not sure what that is, it's just a week that a lot of churches just take, you know, four or five days in the evenings to really focus in on teaching kids about God, teaching them about the Bible, and have lots of fun and snacks and crafts. And uh, this place in here transforms completely uh, the work from some of the volunteers in the church. And so uh, Vacation Bible School is an awesome thing. But even then, I was, I was not perfect. Today, I'm not perfect. I still do a lot of dumb stuff. But it that point in my life, I started to learn with the help of my church how to work out my faith and what this big Bible word sanctification means, that God continues to forgive and he continues to heal and work. And I had a church that was committed to helping me with that. When I was, fast forward just a little bit, when I was about 12 or 13, some things happened in my family that really strained the relationships within and at that point in my life, I remember feeling for the first time like uh, home was not perfectly secure um, or perfectly stable like I thought it had been. And, uh, and I'm not talking anything about physical abuse. I don't want you to, to misunderstand. Um, but what I am talking about is in my family, for generations, uh, addiction has plagued my family. And again, I'm sorry if you have to experience that, but if you do, then you know just how much tension that can cause in a family and how much strain that can put on those relationships. And so it was at that point in my life, about 12 or 13, that I experienced for the first time some kind of significant brokenness. And I was at a loss for what to do, but I'm thankful that, that I knew what to do if I would just do it. My church had taught me what to do in those moments. When you realize that your life is broken, when you experience something, because all these years of it being ingrained in me, I knew who to turn to and how to turn for him, to him for, to, for what I was missing at home. I'm so thankful that my parents, though they are not perfect, if nothing else, they did not position themselves as my savior. They pointed me to Jesus, who would be my savior. They pointed me to him, who will never fail. They're gonna fail, they're gonna mess, make mistakes. I'm a parent, I make mistakes. Parents, I know y'all make mistakes. And there's, the best thing that we can do is to point our kids to Jesus, some way, somehow, point him to Jesus and look beyond ourselves so that when we mess them up, they know where to go. And so it was around that time for me, I was about 13 or 14, my church hired a new youth pastor and he revolutionized the youth, the youth ministry in my church. He perfectly paired fun with discipleship. And it was awesome. He taught us all about God, all about the Bible. He taught us about um, how to stay a Christian even after you graduate. Uh, he did a great job, but he didn't do this alone. And I think the best thing that he did was to bring in an entire army of adult volunteers. At one point, we had about 50 adult volunteers serving middle and high school students, and they were committed to making disciples of people. We had volunteers all the way from ages 18 up to 86. Yes, 86. Mr. Bill, up until the day that he just physically could not, he showed up faithfully to our student events, and he spent many years before that investing in and pouring his life into students, specifically into ninth grade boys. That, that was his ministry, and he taught them Sunday school, and he took them for retreats, and he did all, all these things to instill uh, faith in them and to, and to disciple them. I'm so thankful, like I said, that my youth pastor did that for me, that my church 
did that for me. And today I've, I've got people like that who, who, were, who were right there helping me along the way. People like um, Danny and Melinda, um, Dr. Rick, um, Mr. Parks, Dr. Mike. These are real people whose influence in my life went way farther than just a Sunday morning, hello, or just a Sunday morning greeting. They, I spent hours with these folks. I spent weeks years with these folks. They would give up their vacation time at work to go spend weeks with my friends and me on these retreats. I know many of you have done those things and, and are doing these things. Uh, one thing that's kind of cool about Mr. Bill is that even though he has passed away, he continues to support the discipleship of the next generation by sending them to camps and discipleship retreats through an endowment fund that he had set up before he passed away. And so these are the kind of people that God put in my life. I'm so thankful that he did uh, because it, it's God working and it, it's, it's all of that that has saved me from the mess I know my life would be if, if I didn't have this stuff. And so as you think about Mr. Bill, who 80, was 86 years old, and you've, you, you've ever had the thought that I'd like to serve in student ministry, or I'd like to serve in kids ministry, but I'm just a little too old. There's someone better who's younger, who has more energy, who knows how to work Instagram better, and the kids would just have more fun with them. And I'm here to tell you that that might be fun and the kids might enjoy that, but there are, there's so much more that the kids need. You have godly wisdom. You have life experience. You have endured the trials of life, and you can come out on the other end and see that Jesus didn't save me from the trials, but he was with me through the trials. I learned that this past week at Passion. But that's the kind of story you can share. That's the kind of wisdom that you have to impart to the next generation. And so please hear me, and you'd hear Brian, and you would hear Lindy say, don't let your age deter you from volunteering and, and being a part of making disciples of the next generation. In my church, we had a leadership program where students could get involved in ministry even as middle schoolers and high schoolers, and so all, all kinds of, of things. But what we were called, we were called campus missionaries. And so this youth pastor I had put this on us, put this charge on us to be missionaries in our school campuses. And every student who agreed to do that would have the opportunity to be adopted by an adult Sunday school class and they, the class would take the initiative to contact the student, to reach out, to support us. They would invite us into their Sunday school class uh, about once or twice a year. It wasn't a whole lot. Um, but my best friend at the time had a class that adopted him, and they would welcome him into their potluck get-togethers. And so even when they're just having fun, they were thinking about the next generation. They're thinking about how can we use this for, for some intentional disciple-making work. Uh, today, he still carries with him the Bible that they got for him, or they wrote encouraging notes, and they wrote prayers for him. 16-something years later, he still carries that around. Their influence is still working out in his life. Dr. Kara Powell wrote a book called Sticky Faith, and it's all about this research that her and her team, that she and her team did, uh, that showed that churches with a rich intergenerational approach to ministry, that church raised children with a faith that stuck. She found that if a person is more likely to remain in the faith if they have four to five non-parental Christian adult influences in their life. My church cultivated this environment for me, and, and I'm eager to see First Baptist Church of Conway cultivate this type of environment 
where we have a, a strong intergenerational approach to ministry. And so that's my story, a, a little bit of it anyways, a little bit of how the church was that I came up in. And so as you sit here and you listen to my story, you might be thinking about yours. And perhaps you are one who is like, yes, I know what he's talking about. I had that and it was good. I don't know where I would be if it weren't for my church family. Maybe that's you. Or maybe I share this story of what that was like and you're like, whoa, that is way too much for me. All these adults in my life and in my business, like not, I'm not here for that. Uh, maybe as I'm sharing this, you are, I don't, you, you feel like you missed out or maybe you're, you're, uh, you're frustrated that you didn't have that kind of church growing up. Uh, or maybe you were hurt as a teenager. Maybe you were hurt by your church and you have the opportunity to make sure that doesn't happen again. Finally, I know there's some parents, I know there's some grandparents in here who hear that story and they're like, I want that for my kids. I want that for my grandkids. And I want to be a part of making that happen. I really pray that God's starting to do that in someone's heart this morning. And so this is another request from leadership of the church for some of you, if you're not, to get involved in next generation ministry because we believe it is so important. And so how do we do it? Where do we start with all this? Where did the godly people in my life start? I want to look at Psalm 145 because it offers some really good uh, launching points. It offers some really good things to get us going as we hone in even more than we already are on making disciples of the next generation. Psalm 145 verses 1 and 2 says, this is uh, David writing. He says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever. Do you notice in this the really personal nature of this? My God, the king. David had this intimate and deep personal relationship with God that I know you've read about and heard Brian preach about. The dis discipleship of the next generation begins with you and me having that kind of deep, abiding, really meaningful relationship with God. And it was from this that David praised God enthusiastically forever and ever and every day. And then he continues in verse three. He says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Man, this is telling us that God is worthy of our praise. That's a message that all generations need to have, but especially now, I mean, there are so many things in our culture that are arguing and that are begging that, that they are worthy of our praise, not God, whether it's a political party or if it's a celebrity or even now the big thing is a way of life, a way of living, that that's what's most worthy of praise and, and affection and attention and, and energy towards. This is such a countercultural statement now, and it has been for generations to say, no, that God is most worthy of praise. We can't even begin to fathom. We can understand how great he is, but we can know enough about him that we can pass on stories of how he has worked for his people from generation to generation. And so for the original readers or, or hearers of this psalm, they would almost certainly be thinking about the Exodus when God brought his people out of slavery and whenever he uh, delivered and, and brought them through the waters that they could walk on dry land and how he was with them in the wandering in the, in the desert. 
And uh, going on off of that story in Deuteronomy chapter six, Moses is giving instructions to the Israelites before they go through all that and before they enter into the promised land. And guess what he makes a really big deal of before they step into the promised land? Let's see. Y'all know this probably by heart. Uh, Some of you anyways. Hear, O Israel, he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. All right. Anybody want to go get the tattoos for tattooed, on the, uh, for, <laughs> tattoos, uh, the Ten Commandments tattooed on their forehead? We could take that away from it, but if you do that, there's going to be like several hundred other commandments that you need to get tattooed to. So uh, maybe that's not what he's talking about um, because we live under a new covenant now and, and Ten Commandments are great, but, but we're living in the new. And so the reason that Moses makes a really big deal about this is he knew how quickly a generation can go astray. And we do too, don't we? I mean, I've said things like it before. I've heard everybody say stuff like, oh, kids these days, man, they don't work. They're irresponsible. They have no regard for God or religion or faith or anything. And we like to give them a hard time. But who produced them? Who raised them? <laughs> it's, it's us. It's the older folks. And so let's not judge too much. But, but we, can, we have seen how quickly the generation can go astray. Moses has seen, and what he's talking about, and, and the Bible kind of gives specific language to this. He says, hey guys, y'all are about to step into the promised land and life has been kind of rough with, for you. Sure, God has been with you, but you've experienced some bad stuff and you're gonna get in there and you're gonna start looking around and you're gonna say, man, check out our vineyards. Man, we got some good vineyards. And they're going to look around and they're going to see, look at the sheep we have. Man, look at our cattle. Look at the grass. They got good land to live off of. This is our stuff, man. We're lucky. We're good. And, Moses, and they're saying they're going to quickly forget that that's God's. They only have that because of God. Any type of blessing that they have or have experienced in their life is from God. And so the principle for us to take from this is whatever God has done for us, whatever he's told us, whatever, however he instructs us to tell the next generation and to be kind of repetitive about it and be very serious about it, telling them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength so that it may go well with you. That's important for kids to understand. God is not just trying to suck your fun. He's not trying to make you have a boring life. He wants you to have an abundant, good life. And so that's why we follow him. That's why we avoid these other things. That's why we live in his parameters. Parents, you hear this all the time in our church, that you are the primary disciples of your kids. A next generation ministry here at this church can only help you. We, we, we eagerly want to help and partner with parents, but we can only do that if your kids are a part of it. And I know we all got busy, busy schedules. 
But Brian has, has told me, and he's probably told you guys before, that the number of parents who come in and who call looking for some kind of counsel, for some kind of help, because they, they missed the mark or they didn't do a great job at, at raising their kids and using the church to help them raise their kids, uh, that the number of people who call in like that would, would um, astound you in, in a terrible way. Parents, and I preach to myself just as much as anyone else, nothing is more important than your kids' faith. Nothing is more important than your daughter, than your son coming to the end of their time, whenever that may be, and hearing Jesus say, well done, well done. Come and enter into my rest. Okay, so David continues the psalm in verse five. It says, they speak of the glorious splendors of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. I learned something about this. It's kind of neat what's happening here. And maybe you picked up on it sooner than I did. But David is talking, he says the they who he's talking about, that's the generation before him. So for him, they told him of the glorious splendor of God's majesty. And so David meditates on God's wonderful works. It produced that in him. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And so now David proclaims his great deeds to the next generation. Uh, He continues on. Number seven. Yes, thank you. All right, so he says, they celebrate your abundant goodness. And I want to pause here for just a minute. One translation says that everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. Something that we did when I was a kid growing up in student ministry, we would, on Wednesday nights for one summer, our program was, right, the thing that we tried to attract students to come to uh, was that we would have a little bit of fun, and then we would load up in our church buses, and then we'd load up in some SUVs, we would take off, and we'd spread all across Columbia, and we would go sit in the living room of senior adults. And it might have been a little hot and stuffy, and it might have smelt kind of weird as a kid, okay? But I remember, I remember being so impacted by these folks who, like, they, they have lived it out. They didn't, not just talking about it, they're living it. They walked their faith. They made it through stuff. And so I kind of think, maybe I can do that. Maybe there is something to this. They have not turned their backs on God. Or maybe they did at one point, but hey, they've, they've, they got back on track. They celebrate your abundant goodness. We got to celebrate God's abundant goodness. And then it continues in that verse. Uh, and they joyfully sing of your righteousness. The older generation for David joyfully sings of God's righteousness. If the next generation is watching us as adults of all ages, ooh, do they see people joyfully singing? (laughs) I don't know. I had my back turned to this morning. Turned to you this morning. Um, Most of the time, I do see it. Most of the time, there there are joyful hearts. There are true uh, a spirit of worship in people. But but what do kids see when they look around? They see people singing like they actually believe what they sing, like they actually believe the words that are up on the screen, or do they see, "Mm, I don't know this song, Uh, this song again, Uh, right? I think we do a great job. We're a great worshiping church, but for all of us, it's just a call to remember that the next generation is watching. They're watching. And so from Deuteronomy and from this, there's, there's command, the command to disciple the next generation. And we see that it's really near and dear to God's heart. 
And so there is a corporate aspect of this, raising up the next generation. There's a corporate aspect. There's also an individual aspect. And so where do you, as an individual, start as you begin to participate in this mission? Well, so first of all, in order for you to be a person who can commend the works of God, you have to have experienced them. David continues, and now he's starting to do what the generation before him was doing. He says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. This is a big statement for us. <laughs> that makes me just want to come sing another song of worship. It's a big statement for us, but that was a really, really big statement for the original hearers too, because you got to remember, they had witnessed the wrath of of God towards sin. We don't talk about it a whole lot now and we don't like to be those people, but the reality is there that there is a lot of wrath and anger towards sin from God. They had seen people destroyed in a moment. They had seen people drop dead. They had seen God threaten to open up the earth and a whole bunch of people fall in because of sin. They had witnessed these kinds of things because Jesus had not died on the cross yet to absorb God's wrath like he has for us today. And so they've got a really fresh eyewitness account of God's wrath. And they hear the Lord is gracious. The Lord is compassionate. He is slow to anger. Man, that is a message. That's something that's got to burn in our hearts to tell to the next generation. I can do that same thing for us. If we let the words of this Psalm and if we let grace sink deep into our hearts, if you have not received this grace yet, if you haven't experienced this work of God in your life, and I pray you would talk to someone today about it or talk to someone this week about it. How do I begin this? How do I start a relationship like David had, this type of intimate relationship with God? Talk to someone this week about that and let him start healing you and working in your life. A while back, Brian preached a, a wonderful sermon series about the prodigal son. Do y'all remember that? Uh, so if you do, he challenged us to all find ourselves in the story. Okay, right now, you are looking at an elder brother. I'm not proud of it, that's just who I am, okay? And God's, God's constantly trying to get it out of me. Every day, he tries to get the elder brother's spirit out of me. And so if you're, if you're like me, where maybe you did identify with the elder brother, by the way, if you don't know, that's the one who had this really religious, haughty spirit uh, he might be the type of like Pharisee type of spirit who always thinks that they're holier than everybody else and that they don't sin as bad as everybody else. And so God probably loves them a little bit more, boss. But that's the, the inclination that some of us lean towards. Uh, Y'all show me some grace, please. I said God's still working on me. <laughs> but if you're like me, Brian said it, I just want to echo it again. That your works, everything that you do to earn God's favor is useless. What, what we need, all of us, especially us elder brothers in the room though, what we need is to stop and rest and just be in the completed work of Christ. Rest in the fact that he worked so you don't have to work to earn your way to heaven or to earn your way towards his heart. It's all useless. You might say, oh, I volunteer so many hours in the church. It's useless unless there's intimacy with Christ. No, 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 no. I write big fat checks, okay? I know God loves when I do that. It's useless 
unless there is intimacy with God. What God wants more than our our service, what God wants more than what we can do, what he wants more than uh, the fact that we don't sin as much as other people. I'm, I'm getting off here, but what he wants is you. He wants you. He doesn't want what you can do for him. He wants you. And we look at the cross and we remember that he didn't have to die on the cross. Jesus didn't have to die on the cross for us. He didn't need to. He wasn't lacking anything. Heaven's not lacking anything because we're not there. All that's left is that he wanted to, that he wants to do the most good in your life for his name's sake, lest we start to think that we are so great that a God would would serve us and be at our beck and call. He does it for his name's sake, and it's so good for us that he does it that way. If your story is not personal about how you've experienced this kind of grace, this kind of compassion and God, then your stories to the next generation won't have that much of an impact. So, so, so think on that. Start to develop those stories. That's step one <laughs> to making gener- uh, disciples of the next generation. And so what else can we do specifically as a church for Generation Z and for younger millennials and the up-and-coming Gen Alpha, who's going to do some awesome things in the world. My daughter's in there. <laughs> Both of them. What can we do? <laughs> it's the next one coming. There's always a new one. <laughs> so three years ago, uh, there's, this, there's this research group. It's called the Barna Research Group. And uh, this, like I said, this is three years ago. They did a study on 18 to 29-year-olds who had who had some level of involvement in church growing up. And you can see all the details of this online. Uh, But the most striking thing that they found in all their research to me was that only 10% of those surveyed who grew up in church, only 10% of them remained fully devoted followers of Jesus after they graduated high school. Okay? Now, I'm not super, super good at math. All right, that's one out of every 10 kids in our church. One of every 10 kids. What if we don't have a ton of of kids and youth in our church right now? We're trusting and asking God to change that, that he would grow that ministry in our church. But what if we line them all up right down here in the front? Okay, shoulder to shoulder. They might make it from wall to wall. I don't know. (laughs) But what if we did that? And then based on this statistic, and I know statistics aren't always the rule, but what if we did that? And starting with each kid, can you envision them with me? Everyone under the age of 18, and I would have to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All of you go sit down and you stay. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You stay, number ten, all the rest of you go down. And what would be left up here? If statistics are true, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, did I miss yours? Did we as a church miss yours? because we mailed it in when it comes to discipling the next generation. This is so deeply personal to me because like I said, I've got kids here and I know some of you do. The goal is not simply that we would just keep them in church because that's not what saves a person. Y'all know that. The goal is not that we would keep them in the church. The goal is that they would be fully devoted followers of Christ because that's all there is. That's all there is. So that's our goal. It's a big, big, big goal. But guess who does that work? That's the Holy Spirit doing that work. 
And he says, hey, I wanna use all of you to be a part of my mission. So the pressure's not all on us, but feel some of it. So as I'm kind of wrapping up here, the Barna Group identified four things that we can do. And I wanted to just throw them out here to the whole church and for you to consider also as an individual. But the first thing that we have to do to start reaching the next, that'll build resilient faith in the next generation is experiencing Jesus. Seems like a no-brainer. But what they mean by that is clearing religious clutter for closeness with and joy in Christ. As a church, as an older generation, we commit that above all of our traditions, above all of our stylistic approaches to things, we say we love Jesus the most. And we want kids to experience Jesus. And so we start to share our story about how God worked in our life. And we open up and we're a little vulnerable with them. We let them know that I made mistakes when I was a kid. You don't got to give all the juicy details, but you can tell them that I I made some mistakes. I really did. Students who are in here right now, all of us adults might look polished, might look put together, but we've been through some stuff and we've done some stuff, but we've got a story to tell you about how God carried us through it and about how God is forgiving, about how he's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. And so we want you to experience Jesus. And so we're going to start telling those saints, we're going to put everything else aside Everything that we like, everything that we want, we're gonna put it aside so that you can experience Jesus. The second thing is cultural discernment. And they define this as taking a part in a robust learning community under the authority of the Bible in order to navigate an accelerated, complex culture. And so basically, we just need to realize that we live in a post-Christian nation. I know y'all know that, that's not news. The Bible can't really be assumed anymore in conversations. But kids today are struggling in culture. They're struggling. And so we want to present to them, we want to hear a little bit about what they have to deal with rather than just dismissing the stuff they go through as, uh, mm, I don't know, unimportant (laughs) or just dismissing the stuff that they do as, ah, that's just kids play. Let's get on their level and let's hear a little bit about the culture they're living in and, and start applying the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ to that. The third thing, is meaningful relationships, both with their peers and with others. If we want to build resilient faith in the next generation, we got to have meaningful relationships. The most detrimental thing to discipleship, intergenerational discipleship in a church, is animosity between generations. And it goes both ways, okay? Young and old could do a better job of it. My pastor at the church I grew up in loved to pick on millennials, and he had a field day when the whole Tide Pod thing happened. Y'all remember where kids were eating Tide Pods, and it was all over the news, okay? He had so much fun with that. You now, if you have Tide Pods, on the bottom of your Tide Pod, it says, do not eat, right? Thank a millennial. We did that for you, (laughs) okay? So it's fun to pick on the younger ones, Uh, but what's true of millennials, what I know to be true, is that as a whole, we are doing a better job than the older generation at uh, prioritizing our family over work and finding a good balance. And let me give you some credit because that's with your help. That's with your help. We heard the stories about how you had so much regret that you didn't spend more time with your kids when they were younger. Rocky does this all the time. And I'm so thankful for it. He does it to Brian. He does it to me. He's like, all right, y'all need to go home. One hour after practice, I was doing something on the piano and he came by and goes, Scott, it's time to go home. I'm like, okay, you're right. 
You're right. And so, so y'all, y'all have helped us with that, and we're, we're, as a whole, doing a pretty good job with that. And so uh, we're, building, we're building meaningful relationships. In order to do that, we, we got to um, do better at getting along, and, and, and we do a good job with it here. Uh, finally, the last thing is participating in countercultural mission. Generation Z has a really, really deep sense of mission. From everything that I read and everything that I see, this past week we talked about it, about Passion Conference. At this conference, there were 55,000 college-age students, 18 to 25. If you're like me, numbers blow over your head. 55,000 students who paid to come, who gave up time on their winter break to come down to Atlanta to worship God, to learn more about him, to reorient their lives around his purposes. This generation is going to do some really cool things, and we have the opportunity to tell them about a, a, a countercultural mission that started thousands of years ago that Jesus is leading, that's picking up steam, that will succeed, and they can be a part of that mission and make a difference through that. That's what's going to help build faith in the next generation. And so, as I close, in the four years that I've been here at First Baptist, I have already seen so many good things happen when it comes just. just our, our church is getting, it, our, our church is healthy. Our church is in a good place and it's getting into a better and better place. And specifically, as I'm talking about how it cares for the next generation, I've seen a lot of good progress, but I believe that we can do more. I believe we can do more. Matthew 19, 13, the people brought little children to Jesus for to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the next generation now. Not when they grow older, not when they become significant tithing members of the church. Jesus said, it's theirs now. And we get the privilege, we get the opportunity to lead them and help them to do awesome, amazing things for God. And so as I end, I wanna just suggest two immediate next steps for you. First of all, if God is stirring up a desire in you, or maybe you, maybe you just want more questions or more information about how to be on mission of making disciples of the next generation in our church, if you'd like to do that, then take your the connection card in front of you. At some point before you leave today, uh, just quickly put your name, phone number, and email in on the back. Just write which area you'd like to serve in, or, or you'd like more information about serving in, whether it's the nursery all the way up to college age kids. And the second thing, the second next step is for parents. Parents, and I'm talking to myself and my wife, Bryn, too. What are we stirring our kids' hearts' affection towards? Look over the past week. What did we do? What did we stir up affection and love and devotion in their hearts towards? You're not alone in this. Your church is here to help your church can make a huge impact with you and your kid's life. And so your next step is to get them involved, to get them involved so that we can start working together to produce disciples and so that your kid is not one who we sent back, who lost their faith, who stepped away from God after they graduated from high school. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, uh, we just thank you so much for your grace, and we thank you that you are a God who is both holy and overall, uh, but you're a kind God, and you're a patient God. 
And Lord, you have done so much in my life and you've done so much in the lives of of people here in this church. We've got a story to tell the next generation. And so I just pray that you'll, um, oh, I just pray you'll put a burning passion in our hearts about discipleship. Pray that you'll put a, a, a desire in us to pass our faith on to the next generation and start getting really serious about something that's near and dear to your heart. Lord, we pray that we'll just see an amazing, we'll continue to see an amazing next generation ministry here at our church. And we're trusting you for that. We're looking to you for that. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.